morning and welcome to Alger Assembly of God. And once again, the continuation of our What If series. What if, with God's help, certain things, certain principles were lived out? What could we do? What could we become? What would God do in our hearts and in our lives? We've looked at the fact, what if we lived truly spirit-led? How might God lead and guide and direct? What would that look like? What if we forgave others as God has forgiven us? We're, we're quick to want others to forgive us, but sometimes a little slower to forgive. We looked at the what if about forgiveness. What if we were to handle our money, our resources, our finances God's way? What if we began to handle and spend and save and give according to how God's Word teaches and proclaims? What if we would face difficulties? We said that was a definite, but how do we handle them? And then last week, what if we lived like salt? Not literal salt out of the shaker, but Figuratively, what if we were to act and live as God's Word taught us about salt? Well, this week, our nation heads to the polls to vote. We encourage you to pray. We encourage you to examine individuals and issues and and line them up with God's Word and line them up with principles that are lived and taught and proclaimed in their voting and their records. Certainly, we invite you to vote and to do so here on Tuesday Our nation is uh, certainly facing a lot of challenges in a lot of different areas. There's a lot of conflicts, a lot of viewpoints from one side to the other. One thing that I believe everybody can agree on is that there are issues and challenges that our nation as a whole faces. And so we say, what about our nation? What if God would come and heal our nation? What would that look like? How could we be a part of that? That's the what if that we're going to be heading to this morning. What if God healed our nation? I want to invite you to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. It's a rather familiar portion or a familiar passage. And here in in 2 Chronicles, it's recording the, the construction of and then the completion of the temple underneath the direction of King Solomon. This temple that that Solomon was was building, remember, David wanted to, and then uh, the Lord said, no, you've you've been kind of a a man of of bloodshed. It will be your son who will create and who will do this temple. And uh, David had uh, set aside some of the resources and plans, and so Solomon was the one to complete and to do the work. So we see in uh, some of these early chapters, uh, it took a lot of people. There were 70,000 laborers. 80,000 stonecutters and 3,600 foremen used to oversee this process. Pure gold covered parts of the interior. Precious stones were inlaid. I mean, this, this was quite the creation. The Ark of the Covenant was there inside the, the Holy of Holies. And in chapter 6 then, Solomon knelt down before God's people, spread his hands out toward heaven, and he began to pray this amazing and powerful prayer of dedication. Fire came out of heaven and and consumed the offering and sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. 
powerful and incredible. In fact, God's word says the priests could not enter the temple because God's glory filled it. Can you imagine a day like that? To not be able to get into the house of God, God's glory and God's presence was just so powerful, so thick, that even the priests were not able to get in. Then after offering this, this massive sacrifice, Second Chronicles here mentions 22,000 head of cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. How long would that have taken to prepare and offer sacrifices. It says Solomon and the people then dedicated the temple to God. After celebrating, after praising God over the period of a couple of weeks, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 10 says, the people went back to their homes joyful and glad in heart. And then later that night, just a, in a few verses later, the Lord appears to Solomon and tells him that his prayers had been heard. And so that, that's the context of this verse. We, this verse that we're getting to, our if verse of the week, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, we hear a lot, but it's in the relation to, it's in the context of this building of, the creation of, the dedication of the temple. And so we turn, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, it begins with our if word. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So that's the, the what if for this morning. What if God healed our land? What if God healed our nation? What do we do to, to, to seek after that, to believe and to trust and, and know that God desires to make an impact in our lives and an impact in our culture today? Here's our overriding thought, and you might want to jot this down. This, this phrase, this thought will be repeated quite a bit. It'll, it'll be the basis of our outline, and that's this. God's people following God's plan receive God's promises. That's what we see in verse 14. God's people who are following God's plan will receive God's promises. You see, when we do what God says, we enjoy what he provides, his promises. We are blessed when we do things God's way. It, it applies to today as we look at our lives, our church, our land, our culture, our nation. It applies to other aspects. When we follow God's plan and God's direction in our relationships and in our marriage, God blesses. When we follow God's word and God's plan and, and God's direction as it relates to our finances, God blesses. All of these different areas and categories, as we follow God's plan, we see God's blessings and God's promises take place. God's people, following God's plan, receive God's promises. So first of all, we've got to be God's people. We must be God's people. Let's take a look at that, that first phrase, that first thought. He says, 
if my people who are called by my name. Well, if we, if we want to be able to follow the plan in hopes of receiving God's promises, it starts at the beginning. We've got to be his people. It starts with that word, if. Two little letters, but it's got a pretty huge condition to it, right? How many of you have ever used that word, if? Some of you have used it positive. Some of you have used it negative, right? As a parent, as a grandparent, in, in school, and in work. I mean, if you do this, and it's usually followed with a then, right? If you do this, then I will do this. If you clean your room, then extra dessert. If you don't stop doing this, you're going to get a spanking. If, then. Tiny little word huge condition that's tied into it. God's using this word if, saying, if we will follow his plan, we can then expect to receive his promises. But he's saying at the very beginning, you've got to be my people. It implies there's options here. When you say if to a child or if to a, a, a worker or if to someone else, there's also the, well, if not. You say, well, if you clean your room, you'll get this. There's usually another option. <laughs> if you don't, consequences. If you do, blessing. If you don't, consequences. And God's sharing those same things. If, and later on he's about to say, then, followed by the blessings. Being God's people, following God's plan, receives God's promises. But you and I, we, we've got a decision to make. Every single one of us, are we going to be one of God's people? Following him, serving him, honoring him, and obeying him. God is not forcing us to turn to him. God is not forcing us to become the Christian, to, to be his, his child, his, his follower, his servant. We can, we can take him up on that or we can refuse. He's saying, if my people, so my people... Are you one of God's people? That scripture and that song that was sung earlier comes out of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen people, or some would say chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a, well, peculiar people, others translated as a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We've been called out of the darkness into his light. We have that choice. We have that option of turning from the darkness, turning to God. Are we a part of his people? He says it's a, not just a peculiar people, a holy nation. Are we seeking to honor and serve and obey God in accordance with his word? That's our choice. God is not forcing anyone to surrender, to submit, to bow our hearts or to bow our knees to the Lord and say, I place you first in my life, Lord and Savior. I want to be your child. I'm uh, desiring to be a part of your family. That's, that's our choice. But he says, if my people who are called by my name, called by my name. It, 
isn't it, it, it's kind of powerful at times when you think about uh, your name, whether you're, you're thinking about your name in relation to mom or dad, or maybe you're thinking about your name in relation to a, a child who, who grows up with that name. There, there's something powerful about that name. First names, last names. He said, if my people, people who have, have chosen to live for me, chosen to serve me, chosen to, uh, to surrender their hearts and lives to me, they're called by my name. If we're his people and we're, we're belonging to him, shouldn't we live like those who wear his name? How many of you, you've heard that phrase, something to the effect of, you know, giving this a bad name? So based on maybe how somebody acts, based on uh, what happens from someone's you know, language, actions, you know, they give this a bad name. Sometimes they talk about a profession. Well, this person gives this profession a bad name. Or this person gives Christians a bad name. Or this person gives this family a bad name based on how they've acted. You've heard and you've understood about that. Came across a story, it's... Uh, about Alexander the Great. He was one of the great military generals. It was said that one night as he was out with his troops, he was not able to sleep. So he, he got up from his uh, tent, apparently, and he went and kind of roamed his, his campsite, tent site. And he came across what was supposed to be a, a guard, one of, one of his soldiers who was standing guard at night. Unfortunately for the guard, he was sleeping. Sleeping is not a good thing. Well, it is a good thing. Just not a good thing if you're supposed to be the guard, right? The night watchman. And apparently uh, Alexander the Great was, uh, you know, as a great general, apparently was pretty strict on some things. There were some pretty high levels of accountability for sleeping on the job. And so he comes up to the individual, basically wakes him up, and demands to know, soldier, what is your name? Now, how many of you, if it's one thing to kind of, nap and you know your head kind of bobs and you kind of pop up and you look around and hope nobody caught you none of you have ever done that in church you have they're just confessing right here you know i mean one of those you know when you kind of bob your head you're just struggling and you know it's it's warm and you know it's it's church it's class it's it's at work it's uh, at home and in, in the recliner whatever you know and you, you know, your head kind of nods you kind of I'm not sleeping, I'm not sleeping. I mean, it's one thing to kind of nod off, doze off, and hope, you know, nobody caught you. It's a whole nother thing when you fall asleep and your boss shows up in your job. Or you fall asleep and your teacher shows up at your desk. Or, you know, whatever the case, I mean, something like that. But can you imagine you fall asleep, not just your boss, but the general with a pretty hard-edged reputation, is the one who wakes you up. So he, he, he stutters and stammers to come awake, and he says, what's, what's your name, soldier? And he stammers out the name Alexander, sir. Alexander. It's the general Alexander the Great talking to the little soldier who fell asleep. Alexander. To make sure he understood him correctly, he asked him a, a second and a third and a fourth time, what is your name? He says, Alexander, sir. 
very forcefully and very powerfully, Alexander the Great in response says, well, soldier, either change your name or change your conduct. I might submit God would say the same thing about you and I. We say, I am a Christian. What's your name, son? Christian, child of God, servant of God. Now, maybe we've not necessarily fallen asleep on God, but have we done and said and and participated in things that are not honoring and serving and pleasing to God? It would be almost as if God would speak to us and say, change your name, Christian, or change your behavior, change your conduct. We've got to be God's people. That's where this all starts You know, we're all looking, and so many people are are looking at, well, how can this nation be better? We're we're looking down the road. It starts by being God's people. God's people, following God's plan, receive God's promises. Let's start at the beginning and make sure that we are being God's people. We're his people. We are called by his name. He says, that's where this all begins. That's where he he shares with Solomon at the very beginning. So we've got to be the people of God, be who he's called us to be, those who he has cleansed and forgiven, those of us who are living consistent lives for him. He says, if my people who are called by my name, and then he leads into the plan. God's people following God's plan receive God's promises The middle of that verse reads like this. If they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. So those are the the four thoughts then. We have got to follow God's plan. It starts with being God's people, but we've got to follow God's plan. And he outlines four things, four strategies, four steps that are a part of his plan. Number one, humble ourselves, humility. First step is humility. Not, not to wait until somebody else humbles us. Not to wait until that situation where you know, we, we trip and fall and accidentally humble ourselves, but intentional, sincere humility. James 4, 6 says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And many times what happens is this. We can tend to overestimate our goodness, underestimate our sin. Pride creeps in, humility leaks out. We overestimate how good our, our goodness is and we underestimate how sinful our sin and pride is. Can be. God speaking to Solomon says, part of this plan is humility. 1 Peter 5, 6 reads like this, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. The if and then aren't necessarily there, but it's very much that same familiar thought. Humble yourselves and he will lift you up. His timing. Now, now sometimes when it comes to humility, as with other things, we're not as patient. So we want instant gratification, instant success from humility. We practice humility. Nothing's happening, so we turn around and say, didn't you see how humble I was? I was like the most humble person ever. I mean, 
How awesome was I at being humble? I don't know that that's quite exactly what God was getting at as he's speaking to Solomon. But, you know, it's this continual humility. Part of God's plan for us individually, us in our church, us in our nation, is humility. And then he says, follow it up then with prayer. If they will humble themselves and pray. Humble ourselves, but pray so that we are trusting in and counting on and depending on God. Maybe you've heard the quote, no prayer, no power. Little prayer, little power. Much prayer, much power. Prayer is one of those things we know a lot about, we hear a lot about, but we tend to not practice a lot about. He says there is humility, but there's also got to be prayer. If we're desiring God's revival, we're desiring God to step into our own lives and and our families and and our church and our areas and, and our state and our nation into the affairs of the world, let's not just hope, let's not just trust got to be God's people, but let's, let's follow it up in humility, follow that up in intense and passionate prayer. We know that God's the one that's able to intervene. God is able to step in and to help in our situations. When people pray, God moves, God responds. Sometimes it seems as if in our lives and you know, we're, we're looking for healings or, or provisions or this or that, all these so many needs that that we're undergoing, and many times it's as if we're just, we're waiting on God to move. God, would you just do something? Perhaps, I just submit, might he be waiting on us to humble ourselves and pray and turn to him and trust in him? He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, Thirdly, and seek my face. That's that's a unique term there. Seek God's face. We might uh, maybe associate that phrase with someone desiring audience with uh, maybe someone familiar, someone popular, someone powerful, or with God himself. You might hear that, you know, uh, seeking his face. Maybe someone wanting audience with the king or somebody wanting an audience, this this face-to-face with God himself. Wanting to come face-to-face in connection with the Lord. But it carries that thought as we seek his face, the goal is that we're aligning our heart and our motives and our goals and our vision and our will We're aligning them with him. We're seeking his face. In a sense, we're seeking his will. We're seeking his direction. Many times what we say is, okay, God, I really need you to move in my situation. I'm seeking you. And what we really mean is, God, do this, 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 and this by this time. Seeking God's face is saying, God, I'm trusting in you. I'm believing. I'm praying. I'm seeking you, seeking your will, seeking your guidance, seeking your direction. I'm aligning my life, myself, my will with what you want. The idea of seeking, it carries with it that thought of pursuing something of great value. You think about uh, some of the parables Jesus told in the New Testament, right? The woman who had lost the coin, 
She was seeking a lost coin. The shepherd with the lost sheep, seeking after a lost sheep. Both of those were valuable to both of those individuals. They were seeking, searching after something of value. If we're seeking something of value, don't we tend to rearrange and reorder our priorities and our schedule to make it fit? When, when kids or, or grandkids are involved in something or, or if our, our work demands certain things and it's important, our schedule, our priorities, our lives adjust accordingly. Because it's valuable that I would be a part of this, 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 and this. And God's saying, start by being my people and then follow after the plan. It's, it's humility, it's prayer, but it's, it's seeking me, my face, my, my goals, my, my will be done. Would you rearrange and prioritize your life according to my will? And don't we many times have that backwards? What we say is, God... Here's what's, here's what's good for me. I mean, we do this when it comes to uh, friends or family or, you know, if you're wanting to get together for a, a meal or for a breakfast or for a coffee. Uh, you know, Tuesday at 9 is good for me. You know, it's good for me if it's good for you. What you really mean is it, it really doesn't, it didn't, I don't care, it doesn't matter so much, but th- this is helpful for me. So you know, if it's good for you, it's good for me. We take a little stronger view with God. God, I've got this need, I've got this prayer, I've got this request. And rather than submitting to him and and submitting to his will and and prioritizing our schedule according to him, what we're really saying is, God, this needs to be done. I need to be healed by this date. You've got to be providing by this date. It's got to be like this, like this, like this, like this. And we're putting out these conditions to God rather than saying, whatever works for you, is good for me, what we're really hinting, I prefer Tuesday at 8, God. Or better yet, how about tonight? Tonight at 8 p.m. is even better. When we seek God's face, we're seeking Him, the principles of, of prioritizing. We're saying, God, it's in accordance with what you wish, with what you desire. But when we seek after something, it, it also carries that the aspect of persistence, Right? Not just seeking once, not just requesting once, not just going to God once, but persistently saying, God, would you come? God, would you help? God, would you provide? Jesus himself in Matthew 7, 7 says that when you seek, you will find, right? Ask and it will be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. Let there be persistence in our seeking, persistence in our prayer. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, that when we seek God with our whole hearts, he said, you will find me. You'll find me when you seek me with your whole heart. So all of these things are a part of God's plan. It's humility in him, prayer and seeking God's face. Then that last phrase, turn from your wicked ways. Hmm. Humility and, and prayer and seeking God's face, you know, we, we wrestle with that, but When it comes to turning from our wicked ways, that's a challenge. Because really, this is talking about repentance, turning. It's it's a 180-degree turn, turning from sin and turning unto God. It was this thought that I've shared, what was the very foundation, the basis of the 
youth ministry name in the first place. I was in ministry in Galleon. Our youth ministry name was called I-180. Our little logo is kind of like an interstate shield, you know, like I-75, I-270, had a little I, and, and instead of the number of 75, it was 180. Red, white, and blue shield, as we, as we taught it, encouraged the young people, the theme was I, I have done a 180. God's done that 180 in me. I've surrendered my heart to the Lord. I've turned from sin. I've turned to God. All of that is, is contained in here. He's saying, humble yourselves, pray, seek my face, but don't do those three things, but then continue on in your sinful, wicked ways. Turn from them. Turn from the sin and turn to God. Second Chronicles, as in many places and many points in time in the Old Testament with the people of Israel, they had turned, unfortunately, from God and turned towards a lot of nations towards a lot of false gods of the land, the gods of Molech, Baal, and others, worshiping and, and following others, sacrificing to these other gods, including, in some cases, child sacrifice to these fake and false gods. They had turned from God to these false gods of the lands around them. And God was saying, don't just come in an attitude of humility, don't just pray and, and seek after me, but then keep doing what you've been doing. Turn from those ways. Turn from sin and turn to me. Now, we, we look at that biblical account and we say, well, that's, that's just so different from today. Just so different. I mean, we don't have these gods and, and, and we're not doing this, we're not doing that, so we're good. We might not have Molech and Baal and and some of these situations, but it's not real far off from perhaps our own lives or our own culture, our own land, who has turned from many of the principles of God away from God. I mean, just think about in, in the last numbers of years, the last numbers of decades, even some of the major decisions, major rulings that have taken place, ruling that it is okay to kill innocent little ones. It's a choice. Just call it a choice. Don't mention that that little life was formed by God and how beautiful and wonderful that creation of the Lord is. Abortion has been made into a, a choice on a body, turning from God, turning away from the Lord. Looking at God's plan and God's desire when it comes to living accordance to his word in relationships, opening pages of the Word of God, in Genesis, man and a woman, leaving father and mother, clinging together. God's plan, God's design for relationships is husband and wife. And over the last years and over the last decades, that has gradually turned. Society and culture has turned from God to their own desires it doesn't matter who you choose to love, man or woman, no matter how many you might want to have, it's your call and nobody can tell you who to love. As a culture, as a society, and even individually, some of the things that we have chosen to do, rather than turning from sin to God, we've turned from God to sin, towards our own decisions. Anything that keeps us 
from serving and honoring and following God might be that idol, might be that false god, much as what these Israelites were seeking after and following after. There's no real soft way to say, turn from your wicked ways. What's the soft way to say that? Don't sin! Oh, can't use that word. He wasn't soft peddling it. He's saying, humble yourselves, pray, seek my face. He doesn't say, make better decisions. He doesn't say, you know, think through what you're about to do. He very clearly says, turn from your wicked, from your sinful, from your against me kind of ways. But what we tend to do, we we get pretty good at, at responding to sin. Instead of turning from sin, here's a handful of things that we'll do. We'll rationalize it. It's okay. I can handle this. It's not that bad. Or we'll excuse it. Or, here's a big one, we compare. We compare. I mean, I know maybe I do this, but, but you know, in my defense, I know so-and-so, and they do a whole lot worse than I do. Now, you've never done that. That's at those other churches. Chances are probably good, at some point in time, we have compared. Well, you know, I just can't believe so-and-so that they would do this, this, and this. Never mind that we've done this and this, two out of the three, but they've done all three. We compare how many of the sins, how serious of the sins, you know, and we, the problem with comparison is this. You can always find somebody who has done more than you, right? Can't we always make ourselves look good in comparison? I mean, it'd be just like in, you know, in gym class, you know, you're, you're wanting to be like the, the fastest runner and you get beat out and beat out and beat out. So what do you do? You go find some slow poke that you know you can beat, challenge him to a race, beat him. Ho-ho, winner! You can always find somebody slower than, worse than, or in this case, slightly more sinful than. Is that truth? We always find somebody a little, just a little worse than us. Is that who we are to compare ourselves to? Is that our pattern? Look around and find the worst sinner who supposedly calls themselves a Christian, and as long as we slot in slightly above them, we're good. That's all God desires of us. No. In fact, we are to compare ourselves to our goal, our pattern is not the the lowest of the low, it's the highest of the high. Our pattern is, Our model, our example is Christ himself. Now, we don't don't quite like that comparison. That would be like, you know, trying to battle Michael Phelps in a swimming pool. Put me in the swimming pool against Michael Phelps, I'm going to get lapped every time. Give me some time to find a slow poke and maybe I'm going to feel good about myself, right? Playing basketball. Get me out on a basketball court with LeBron James, it's not going to look very pretty. But let me find somebody who's about four foot nothing, and I can just stand over and swat it every time. Make me feel good about myself, right? Those aren't the ones we're to compare ourselves to. When we turn from sin and we turn to God, we're comparing ourselves to a holy and a righteous and a pure God. Now, with him as that, that level playing field, with him as that pattern and example, 
Any and every one of us in comparison are sinful and we must turn from those sins and turn towards a holy and a pure and a righteous God. We repent of our sin. We admit it, confess it, abandon it, renounce it, get rid of it, move beyond that. As long as we're continuing to hang on to those sins, how are we going to be moving forward? We say, bless me, God. Same types of things, some of which we've, we've talked about even in, in finances. We say, bless me, God. Help me in all of these financial categories. But God, I, I don't want to control my finances the way that you want. I just want you to give me stuff. God, I want you to bless my relationships I'm, I'm not interacting with this friend or neighbor or spouse or, or family member in accordance with your word, but God bless it and resolve everything. In other words, I want you to tell them how, how much of a knucklehead they're being. Make them better, God. Every aspect of our life, we say, God, I want you to do something, but, but I don't want to do the changing. And if we're going to be God's people following God's plan, hoping for God's promises, a huge component of that is repentance and turning from our wicked ways. See, we hear stuff like this quite a bit, but we don't always follow it. Much like many individuals with their doctors. None of you, none of you. How many of you, you've been to a doctor, the doctor gives you advice, you know, here's some medicine you need to take. Here's how many times you need to take it. Oh, and by the way, you you need to cut out salt or you need to limit your sugar. Or, you know, you might need to lose a few pounds, exercise a little bit, walk a little bit, this, 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 whatever it might be. Doctor says, do these things, it's going to help you. And you walk out of there and say, I ain't doing any of that. I know better. Right? We don't change. And then we wonder why, man, why is nothing happening? I mean, I don't know what's going on. We're not following what's been prescribed for us by our doctor Spiritually, we've got to follow what's prescribed for us by our doctor, our creator. It's not just to humble ourselves. It's not just to pray and and seek after him and commit to him, but it's the turning from our sin, turning from our evil and sinful ways. Malachi 3.7 says, Return to me, and I will return to you. That's the process. That's, That's that order. God hasn't moved. God hasn't changed. God hasn't walked away. God hasn't left. God's right there, ready and willing and waiting. He says, come back. He says, return. He says, be my people. Follow my plan. You return to me, and you definitely can be assured I'm going to return. There's that response. There is that blessing of being received. So it's it's God's people following God's plans. We've got to be God's people. We've got to follow these aspects and these components of God's plans. And if we do those things, there's the if and there's the then. And here's the then. He says, then you'll receive God's promises. The end of that verse says, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Three things God God promises that he will do. When we are his people, following his plans, here's the promises of what he's sharing. Number one, he says, he will hear. God promises to hear our prayers. He's not deaf. 
He doesn't have limited office hours. You get sick and you try to think, okay, is, is my doctor in today? Is he here in the morning? Is he here in the afternoon? Is he here all day? Is it too early? Is it too late to call? There's no restrictions on that. God says he will hear. He will listen. Psalm 121.4 says this. He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. That means he's always paying attention. Some of you late night owls. Man, you enjoyed last night that, that, that you got even extra hour on top of your extra late night hours, right? If you're staying up till midnight, one, two, three in the morning, and you're calling on God, he's able to hear. Those of you early morning people getting up at three, four, five, six o'clock in the morning, he hears. Those of you who wish you could just wake up at noon every day, I mean, he promises to hear. God's people following God's plan will receive God's blessings, God's promises. He promises to hear. Secondly, he promises to forgive. In Psalm 103, 12, it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have, has he removed our transgressions from us. He promises to cleanse and to forgive one of the scriptures we've pulled out on other occasions here in our if series, it's, it's powerful nonetheless. It has a powerful if. It's 1 John 1, 9. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess. The, the offer, the invitation is there. We confess our sins, and we are guaranteed he's going to come, he's going to cleanse, he's going to forgive and give a brand new start. God's people following God's plan receive God's promises. He's going to hear. He's going to forgive. Thirdly, he says he will heal. I will heal their land. Now, this particular context, as we're reading 2 Chronicles chapter 7, this is in relation to the people of Israel. They've, they've, been, uh, they've created this temple. They have, uh, as Solomon had built that, they honored, they celebrated. And this promise was given to them about healing of their land. I believe that there are principles from this promise to them for you and I as well. Healing needed maybe in your bodies, healing in your finances, healing in your relationships, healing in, in, in our nation and our land and our, our world. Every time you... You, know, you look at a newspaper or you look on the internet or, or look on the television, there's just something around our world that, boy, certainly needs God's intervention and God's help. He's promised to heal. Now, for the Israelites, part of what he was wanting them to do is to be that influence, to be that light to the land and to the, the nations that were around them. They were not to be following the nations and not to be following after the gods and not to be serving those false gods and fake gods of these other lands and nations. They were to live different. They were to be that pattern and example to others. I believe God would desire that same thing in our hearts and in our lives. Would we live different than those around us? To be a light, to be an example that others would see Jesus Christ in us. Healing situations in our lives, our homes, our families, our communities, our world. But you see, the choice is ours. That small little world with a word, with a huge condition, if. The choice is ours. Will we be the people of God? Will we follow the plans of God 
in order to receive those promises of God. You look through the Old Testament and and you read a lot about the people of Israel. And we see that that they went back and forth. I mean, in in the the book of the Judges and in in some of these uh, kings and chronicles and Samuels, as we read about them, you see this cycle basically just over and over. They'd seek after God, and, and God would give them a, a king or a leader or a judge, and, and uh, God would bless and provide, and then eventually they would, they would turn their backs on the Lord, and, and God would allow other things to come in, other lands to, uh, uh, to conquer or to uh, oversee them. Things would get tough. They'd cry out to God. God would send a deliverer, make all the wrongs right, and they'd Be thankful to the Lord, but that thankfulness wouldn't last very long, and and that cycle continues, that cycle continues, that cycle continues. We've got a choice. How will we respond to God? Are we going to be the people of God? Are we going to follow the plan of God in desiring the promises of God for ourselves individually, our families, our church, our community, our nation and world? I believe God desires to heal I believe that God desires to bless. I believe that God desires to guide and to direct in each of these situations. Let us be the people of God. Let us follow the plans of God. And I believe that we will receive the promises of God. 